Well, hello everybody. Welcome to Live with Lon. I uh, hope you had a wonderful Easter. And today we're going to be continuing on in our study of the Gospels. But let's pray first, okay? Let's bow our heads. And let's take a moment to ask the Lord to make our heart ready to hear from Him today. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are risen not just on Easter weekend, but you are risen every day. So in a sense, every day of our Christian life is Easter. So help us celebrate you and your rising from the dead uh, to confirm your plan of salvation for our souls. Now as we get ready to study the Word of God, Lord, open our hearts and make uh, them malleable in the hands of the Holy Spirit, illuminate our minds and our spirits that we might really understand your truth today and its implications for our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Okay, now listen, last week I uh, forgot, I got so excited about what I was saying that I forgot to include the most important illustration of them all. So if you listen last week to me talking about us being in Christ and our life is hidden in Christ and because of this we become the righteousness of God as righteous as Christ because God doesn't see us. He sees the Lord Jesus in whom we are hidden away. I wanted to share with you a great example of this that really helps me is the idea of yeast and dough. You know how people take yeast and they embed it in the dough, and the dough engulfs it, and the dough completely envelops it, and you don't even, the yeast is no longer visible. It's hidden away in the dough, and that's well, the greatest example that helps me in my mind to get on top of this idea that we are hidden in Christ, and if you look at a lump of dough, you don't see the yeast you see only the dough because the yeast is hidden. And if you look at Christ, you don't see us and our sinful unrighteousness in the flesh, but you see Christ. And we are hidden away like that yeast is in the dough. And God agrees to see only Christ in whom we are hidden. I hope that helps and brings great hope and joy to your life to contemplate that this is how God has hidden us and our sinfulness and our flesh uh, in the Lord Jesus so that we become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, now we want to go back to our study of the Gospels today. And we're in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. And I want to pick up here in Luke 13. And remember, here at Live with Lon... And Lon Sullivan Ministries, what do we study? we got to say it. Come on, ready? The Bible, or the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible, right? So, are you ready to do that? Well, let's get underway. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 13, and we've just covered the part at the beginning about how the fig tree bore no fruit, uh, and the master, God wanted to cut it down, but the, the vine dresser, said, no, give me another chance at it to fertilize it, to dig around it, and then if it doesn't bear fruit, you can cut it down. And we talked about how uh, this is 
the nation of Israel at the time of Jesus, who had not repented and not come to Christ, and a judgment was what uh, they were going to receive. And the Lord Jesus said, no, uh, let, let me have one more chance at them. And of course, they didn't repent even through the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we talked about, they were judged. And in 135 AD, after their second revolt against the Roman Empire, Jewish people were scattered out of Judea, uh, across the Roman world, never to be gathered together in their own nation again uh, for almost 1900 years. So, now we move on, and uh, we find Jesus in a synagogue on the Sabbath, as he's making his way towards Jerusalem for the cross. We don't know exactly what village this was, uh, but it wasn't uncommon for a Jewish rabbi or teacher to be honored with a guest lecture, uh, a guest sermon, a guest reading and commentary on the scripture in a synagogue, in a local synagogue. And so obviously this is what he's doing. So we pick up verse 10 of Luke chapter 13. Here we go. Let's put it on the screen. New King James version of the Bible. Here we go. And he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. That's key. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately, remember Jesus heals when he heals, he heals immediately. She was made straight and glorified God. Now you would think uh, after so, uh, uh, an unbelievable healing like this, uh, everybody in that town knew this woman. Everybody knew that for 18 years uh, she was bowed over with some kind of infirmity. This was a front page news healing in that town. And Jesus did it out in the open for everybody to see. You would think everybody would be thrilled and be rejoicing and praising God. Well, not so. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation <laughs> because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the people, there are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed in them and not on the Sabbath day. Now remember, the Jewish leaders over the years had come up with all these incredibly legalistic rules for what you could do and what you couldn't do on the Sabbath, all growing out of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to keep it sanctified, to keep it set apart. And God had put the Sabbath uh, into uh, his uh, regulations for the nation of Israel as a favor to the Jewish people. Everybody else in the world uh, worked seven days a week uh, back in the time of Jesus. They didn't have a weekend. They didn't get a day off. And God gave the Jewish people a day off to rest, to recuperate, to enjoy being with their family, uh, to relax. Uh, this was meant to be a blessing for the Jewish people. But the rabbis 
had made it into bondage. They had come up with all these rules limiting what you could do on the Sabbath. You couldn't walk but so far. They couldn't cook on the Sabbath. They couldn't do any work on the Sabbath. They On and on and on and on and on. And this ruler says, you can't heal on the Sabbath. That's work. You can't do work. There are six other days to be healed. Uh, this woman should have come looking for a healing on one of them. Now, my grandparents on my dad's side, my dad's mother and father, were Orthodox Jews who had come over from Germany at the end of the 1800s. And I remember when I was a small child, uh, you couldn't turn on the light switches, you couldn't cook, the meal had to be cooked the day before. Uh, you couldn't sew, you couldn't wash laundry, you couldn't make the bed, you, know, you couldn't uh, 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 cut the grass, uh, you couldn't sweep the front porch, uh, you couldn't do anything, lest you break one of these rabbinic rules about what couldn't be done on the Sabbath. So the point is that the rabbis had taken something that was meant to be a blessing for the Jewish people, and they had turned it into slavery, into bondage, into oppression uh, for the Jewish people. Uh, uh, so much so that a healing wasn't allowed. This poor woman, after 18 years of being infirmed, wasn't allowed on the Sabbath. Okay, and the Lord answered him, verse 15, the ruler of the synagogue, and said, You hypocrite! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox and his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? They had made an exception for this, the rabbis had, uh, so that they could keep their animals healthy. This was an exception they made that benefited them uh, as the rabbis. And ought not this woman, verse 16, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. They were ashamed of themselves. And all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him, Jesus. Now, I want you to skip over to chapter 14 and verse 1. And this is another incident. And it happened, verse 1. As he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely, Jesus. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. This was a disease. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they kept silent. And he took the man and healed him, and let him go. And he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. In Matthew's Gospel, Matthew even adds, Is not a man or a woman, a human being, worth more than an ox or a donkey. So these rabbis, if there was an emergency with one of their uh, beasts of burden, they would run, uh, and even though the uh, the Sabbath said you weren't allowed to pull animals out of a pit, you know, but they would have done it anyway to save their animal 
Is not a person worth more than that, Jesus says. Well, now these two passages tell us a couple of things. One, they tell us that Jesus often delivered the same sermon, if you will, the same truth in his three years of public ministry. Every single thing that he talked about was not brand new. These were two different instances where Jesus spoke the same exact truth about them being hypocrites and about the Sabbath. Okay, so we need to understand that. Uh, sometimes people say, well, the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000, uh, the Bible got it wrong uh, by 1,000 people. No, these were two separate events. Uh, Jesus, over those three years, didn't just do the feeding of the crowd just once. He obviously did it at least twice. So remember that if somebody tries to tell you that two similar passages are contradictory and they prove the Bible is wrong, no, they don't. Jesus uh, delivered the Sermon on the Mount several times, at least the basics of it, several times, which is why you find it in several of the Gospels in slightly different form, abbreviated in one, uh, uh, in a different chronological place, in another. Why? Because Jesus taught those truths several times, maybe ten times, who knows how many times, during his public ministry. Okay, now... The last thing I want to comment on here before we move on is that in John chapter 14, these miracles were amazing. I want you to look at John chapter 14 with me, verse 10. Jesus said, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Now watch, verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me because I say so, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. This is what Jesus challenges them. If you don't believe that the Father and I are one because I say so, well then believe it because of all the miracles I do. Who else could do them unless they were God himself? And he repeats this, John chapter 10, verse 36. Jesus says, you accuse me of blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me because I say I'm the Son of God, believe the works, uh, the miracles that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. These miracles that were being done daily throughout the land of Israel by the Lord Jesus. Jesus challenges them. If you don't believe that I'm the Son of God because I tell you, believe me because of the miracles, who else could do these things? So interesting that the blindness of man was so great that they would not even believe Jesus because of these incredible miracles that he was doing to corroborate and authenticate him being the second person in the Godhead. This is why in 2 Corinthians 4, the Bible says that Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that the light of the glory of the gospel might not shine through to them. Remember, your unbelieving friends are not being hard-headed. Uh, they're not being silly. Uh, they're not being ignorant. They're blind. That's why they don't see and understand. And so rather than castigating them, 
for some sort of perceived stupidity or stubbornness, we should pray for them that the Holy Spirit will illuminate them and lift that blindness so they can see who Jesus is and come to him. Prayer is the key to people coming to Christ. Prayer for the Holy Spirit to remove that blindness Satan has put on all of us. And I don't believe anybody comes to Christ, but that somebody is praying for them to that end. That's true of you. I bet you had a mother, a father, or a, a grandfather, or a grandmother, or a friend, a sister, or a brother. Somebody prayed for you that God would lift your blindness. Corley Goodman prayed for me, and that's what we need to do for others. Okay, now that's the end of our passage, but I want us to ask our most important question. So, are you ready? Come on now. Here we go. One, two, three. So what? Yes, yes, yes. And to be here today and be able to be sharing this uh, great word of God with you, you know what I say. How sweet. Come on. How sweet it is. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Now, the so what for today I want to do what Elvis Presley said. You remember he sang, Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. (laughs) And I'm going to rush in uh, to a theological truth uh, that I think the angels are probably scared to deal with, uh, maybe. It's called our freedom in Christ. And I'm only going to be able to do kind of like an executive summary Uh, But I have two resources I want to give you uh, for you to follow up on this and spend more time thinking about this and studying the Word of God about this. I'll give them to you now and I'll repeat them at the end. The first is a book. Let's show you a picture of it by Chuck Swindoll. You can get it on Amazon called Grace Awakening. The Grace Awakening. And the second is a series of four messages I did called Our Freedom in Christ, and you can get them on the uh, sermon archives of Lon Solomon Ministries. Go to Lon Solomon Ministries, go to the sermon archives, and about three pages in, you'll see that series of four messages, uh, Our Freedom in Christ. But here's what I I want us to talk about today. I want us to talk about the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. And at the end of Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, For what shall ever separate us from the love of God? Shall this or that or the other or the other or anything in the created world? No. Paul says, I am convinced uh, that in Jesus Christ, nothing shall separate us from the love of God the Father. So what does that mean? Well, this is an expression of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. We cannot lose our salvation, and we have the freedom in Christ to do anything uh, that we want to do. Now, Wait a minute, before you blast off for Mars, I didn't say that means we should do anything we want to do. I said we have the freedom to do it 
without losing our salvation. Uh, and, and this is the grace uh, approach to the Christian life. And this is what this is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. Look at this. Stand fast, therefore, Paul says, in the liberty with which Christ has made us free. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, what's the word? Liberty. So what I'm talking about today is I'm talking about a way of living the Christian life. There are two ways to live it. We can live it legalistically, or we can live it by grace. Living it legalistically, legalistically, <laughs> this is live, living it legalistically, legalism <laughs> is one way of living the Christian life. Meaning, uh, we have all these rules and regulations that uh, uh, the, the church and that other Christians lay on themselves and lay on us. And the only way that we're considered to be acceptable and as godly and as pious uh, people, uh, Christians, is when we keep all these legalistic rules uh, that have been laid upon us, um, limiting actions that we can take. Uh, we don't go to movies. Uh, we don't drink alcohol. Uh, we, we don't smoke. Uh, we, we don't play cards. Uh, and on and on and on. All these things we don't do. Um, we don't cut our grass on Sunday. Uh, and, you know, these are very real. Many of us grew up in traditions like this, where we couldn't do any of these things, and we're still, to this day, plagued by the slavery uh, that these things put us in. We might go to a movie, but there's a small part of us that feels guilty uh, because we were trained, uh, Christians aren't supposed to do this. Now, uh, the Bible does not teach uh, legalism. Uh, for believers in Jesus. The Bible teaches liberty, not legalism, liberty, freedom. And this is what we just read, where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's liberty to do anything we want to do without losing our salvation. Now, Chuck Swindoll, in his book, The Grace Awakening, comments on this. I want to read to you a, a short quote. Here's what Chuck says. Bound and shackled by legalists' list of do's and don'ts, intimidated and immobilized by others' demands and expectations, far too many in God's family merely exist in the tight radius of bondage dictated by those who have appointed themselves our judge and jury. And he's so right. Now, Swindoll took a tremendous amount of criticism for this book. But this is a wonderful book. And you say, well, what about if people run off and, and do all kinds of things and misuse their liberty? Yeah, well, that's a danger. That is a, that, that's clearly a danger. But that that is not what the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach license it teaches liberty to serve the Lord and to walk in freedom with the Lord. And Chuck covers that in chapter 6 of his book. You need to read his book. Uh, he balances this out. In fact, lest you think that I'm preaching 
license to sin, let me say right here, there are three times where we are told to limit our liberty. Um, that, that is a biblical concept, limiting our liberty. Yes, we have it, but there's three times we're told that we should limit it. Number one, when doing something that we have the liberty to do takes us into sin and offensive behavior to God. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. It says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Yes, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. And so, yes, do I have the right uh, to walk into a pornographic movie without losing my salvation? Yes. Do I have the right to walk in an adult bookstore and buy something without losing my salvation? Yes. Do I have the right uh, to uh, do a number of other things without losing my salvation? Yes. But I should limit my liberty here because these things are sin and offensive to God. And this is why uh, Paul goes on to say in chapter 5, verse 16 of Galatians, Walk in the Spirit, I say then, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Uh, if we walk out every day uh, with the Holy Spirit filling us, uh, we won't want to do those things, and our conscience and the Spirit will testify against doing those things and tell us to limit our liberty there. Number two, we're to limit our liberty when exercising our liberty will hurt our testimony and our reputation and our credibility with uh, other people. Uh, this is 1 Thessalonians 5.22. The King James Version translates it as avoid all appearance of evil. You may have the liberty to do something. You're not even doing anything wrong. But if it looks to people like you are, it'll ruin your testimony and your opportunity to witness with them. I remember when I first came to Washington, uh, my old girlfriend lived here. And we were still kind of half seeing each other and half not seeing each other. But she had an apartment uh, out in Merrifield. And sometimes on a Saturday night or a Friday night, it got late and I wouldn't want to go home. So I slept there on the couch, not with her. Uh, there was no, no, no hanky-panky going on. Uh, but uh, when I came walking out at 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning, what were people in the neighborhood to think? They weren't going to think I slept on the couch. They were going to think there, were, there was hanky-panky going on. And a good friend of mine, who was one of my mentors, said to me, Lon, uh, you might have the liberty and the freedom to stay there on the couch, but you're ruining your testimony with everybody that sees you walking out of there the next morning. Avoid all appearance of evil. Limit your liberty. Get on your motorbike and come back uh, home. You understand what I'm saying? And third, we should limit our liberty when exercising it will cause another Christian to stumble into sin. The Apostle Paul says that. In Romans chapter 14, he says, It is good to neither eat meat nor drink wine nor anything, do anything, by which your brother stumbles or is offended. You say, well, what's an example of this? Hey, what if you have, is it okay for a Christian to drink alcoholic beverages? Yes. Will you lose your salvation? No. I'm not, I'm not talking about drunkenness here. I'm talking about having a drink or two. But, well, let's say you're with a fellow Christian who has had a huge alcohol problem. 
and he's going to AA or she's going to AA and, and they're struggling to beat alcohol in their life, is it okay for you to exercise your liberty and take them into a bar uh, and get a drink with, you, with them? Uh, no, you're going to cause them to stumble. They might go right off the wagon because they see you having a drink and they go, hey, you know, I want one of them too. Or to go to a party and bring alcohol when you know they're coming to the party. Uh, no, uh, this, is, this is not loving your brother in Christ or your sister in Christ. So these are the three times to limit our liberty. When exercising it will lead us into sin or offensive behavior before God. Number two, when exercising our liberty will damage our testimony and our credibility uh, as a witness for Christ in front of unbelieving people. And number three, when exercising our liberty will cause a brother or a sister to stumble into sin. Remember, uh, for a person who's trying to quit alcohol uh, and is going to AA, drinking for them might be sin because God's told them to stop and their great affinity for drink may not be sin for you, but it would be for them and it would be wrong to lead them into sin by exercising your liberty and my liberty. Now, that is the fastest treatment of this subject you're ever going to get, but I refer you to Chuck Swindoll. I refer you his grace awakening. I refer you to my four messages called Our Freedom in Christ on our website. And friends, this is why Jesus said, look at this. Let's put it on the screen. Mark 2:27, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The rabbis had turned the Sabbath around as though the man was made to serve the Sabbath. No, the Sabbath was made uh, to serve man. And in our freedom in Christ, the Sabbath is meant to be a day of rest, but, you know, if you want to cut your grass, cut your grass. Now, uh, one last comment. This is what Christians do when they go into legalism. The very same thing that Jesus just talked about turning the Sabbath into a slave master uh, for people. Look at this, chapter 2 of Colossians, and with this we're done. It says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to worldly regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things that perish with the using. They're all just earthly things according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Legalism is a commandment and doctrine of men. These things, watch this, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. These things have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body but they are not of any value against indulgence, the indulgence of the flesh. And I love how the ESV, we'll put it on the screen, translates this. It says, these regulations, parenthesis, have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. Legalism is self-made man's rules to please God. And asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of 
the flesh. And Phillips, in his translation, says that these self-imposed legalistic uh, regulations do not honor God, they honor man's pride. Uh, Men and women walk around, Christians walk around, I don't smoke or drink or cuss or chew or hang around with them which do. And I don't go to movies, and I don't play cards, and I don't have alcohol, and I don't dance, and I don't listen to rock music, and and look at me, Mm, pious me. Mm, uh, Yeah, okay, Uh, but uh, what about their flesh? Do they gossip? Uh, Do they think terrible thoughts about other people? Uh, Do they refuse to forgive others? Are they mean and cruel and conniving uh, sometimes? Uh, uh, Do they lust over men or women in their minds when they walk around? Uh, Do they covet what other people have? Uh, I don't care if you walk around and you don't smoke or drink or cuss or chew, but what the Bible is saying is all that is is man-made religion. All that is is you're being hard on your flesh with a bunch of rules But it doesn't stop the indulgence of the flesh. It doesn't control the desires of the flesh, these legalistic rules. It just makes you look good. That is, it doesn't serve God in your life. It serves your own pride. You understand what I'm saying to you? How do we control the indulgence of the flesh? Well, Colossians goes on. Listen, chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. What Paul said, uh, uh, if we uh, live in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The real Christian life is about controlling the indulgences and the desires of the flesh, which only is done by walking with the Spirit. It's not done with rules and regulations from without. Legalism from without, that doesn't control the flesh. Some of the people who are the most legalistic and seemingly pious people that you ever would want to meet, I've seen those same people do some of the nastiest, cruelest, meanest, most ungodly and unrighteous things to others that you could ever imagine. Uh, But they don't smoke or cuss or drink or chew or dance or go to movies. But it it doesn't stop the flesh from being the flesh. You with me? So the way to subdue the flesh is by walking in the Spirit every day. uh, Being filled with the Spirit every day. And then limiting our liberty, yes, when it's appropriate, but enjoying our freedom in Christ. We need to enjoy our freedom in Christ. Jesus said, I'll close with this, John chapter 8, look at this. Jesus said, and if you continue in me, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Skip down to verse 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, free from the penalty of sin? Uh, Yes. Uh, Free from the condemnation of hell? Yes, but it doesn't stop there. As Paul said in Galatians 5, we have freedom in Christ that applies to our everyday living as well as eternity. So, check out those other resources I gave you, and I hope God will use this to set you free uh, if you're not. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to cover this very important subject today. Uh, help people not misunderstand what I'm saying and help people not think that freedom means license. It means freedom and liberty to enjoy life as a follower of Jesus, knowing that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and uh, that they have the liberty to enjoy their life without worrying about losing uh, their salvation. Uh, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen. Uh, angels, uh, fear to tread <laughs> where I just rushed in. Uh, but this is the Word of God. And this is truth. And I hope you'll follow up with the resources I gave you. May God bless you. We'll see you next week on Live with Lon. <laughs>